2: Hello and welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Wednesday, the 6th of October. Tom Stanley in for Nick and plenty to get through in today's show. I'm joined by Racing TV and ITV Racing broadcaster Rishi Passad. The title of the podcast today pictures and paintings comes from a quote that chris richardson the managing director of chiefly park stud gave to me when chatting to him last night you can hear that extensive interview in the show today uh, regarding Inspiral, who heads to the phillies mile this friday and also regarding their a purchase yesterday, big purchase they made when seeing off competition from Jubmont Farms at Tattersall's Book One sales. Um, a picture also caused a, a right stir last night from Kempton when the last race, the result having originally called one horse the winner, was subsequently called a dead heat, having had the photograph studied a little bit further by the judge uh, Rishi Passad was on duty for racing tv uh, Rishi what on earth was going on
0: well I thought uh, our producers were joking and taking the mickey out of me when with a minute left of our program and a good you know seven or eight minutes after the last race had been run uh, after the, the close finish they said to me They've changed the result. It's a dead heat. And I looked at them while Steve Mellish was waxing on about the the arc result. Uh, I looked quizzically down at the the camera and they said, yes, they have changed the result. It's a dead heat. It it was a huge shock to me that they had changed the result. It wasn't a shock to me that it was a dead heat. I've got to be honest, Tom, because it was so close. When we saw it in real time, obviously we didn't have the benefit of the picture at the time, but it was very, very tight. and then I have no idea what the process was, from crossing the line, declaring proclaimer the winner, to minutes later, you know six or seven minutes later declaring a dead heat. I don't know how that would have come about. I don't know whether someone proceeded to, to uh, inquire about the photograph, having seen it um, and maybe objected against the result. I don't know whether that was the process, but what I, what I do. Uh, have a small concern about, a small concern, seeing that it's happened more than once is bigger than a small concern, is the fact that the protocols that, you know, the Brant Dunshay, the BHA uh, had put in place after previous incidents like this, they just clearly haven't worked. So those protocols need to be uh, examined again. Um, and also it's another embarrassing episode, I'm afraid, for British racing in 2021, where this sort of incident happens again where you look at it and you think, well, we know what the right result was because eventually you got there, but well, why can't we get there without the kerfuffle and the mistakes <clears throat> in the lead up to it? And that seems to be a major issue, why that continuously happens. So, and I say continuously, and people might say that's slightly unfair, but when you consider the technology that's on offer, the technology that's being used now, and the fact that there is so much there, and there, is a, there had been a system, you think, in place to protect you against that, yet it still keeps happening. And once is too many.
2: Rishi, with your experience in other sports and in other racing jurisdictions, Dubai, you're you're off to the the Breeders' Cup again this year. Do do you feel that this could happen in other sports and in other racing jurisdictions? Or do you feel that Britain and and British racing is lagging behind?
0: Um, I find it. I I can't speak with a great deal of
2: certainty about
0: other jurisdictions, if I'm entirely honest, because um, I I don't know the the ins and outs of other jurisdictions in terms of how often uh, errors like this happen. Um, But I guess what what I have experienced in in, in other sports is it's very rare for mistakes where it involves integrity. And uh, obviously racing is unique in in the sense that um, the the entire process and procedure of a race day is unique in comparison to other sports but um you know for example uh, a, a, a golfer at the end of the day finishing up and going to have his scorecard checked and rechecked you know how often can you remember in the last 10 years has a golfer come in with a wrong card and it not and it get through the scorer's hand? You know, once you get into the scorer's hut, it's checked and double-checked by the the player alongside the officials um, to avoid, once he leaves that scorer's hut, he or she leaves that scorer's hut, the correct score is known. Um, So that's a sort of protocol example. That's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head, where you think, look, they make sure that at the end you get the right result, but without the the muck-up, basically, in the process of getting to the right result. And I don't. I find it extraordinary that we ended up with the, the, the muck-up before we got to the right result last night.
2: And everything that comes with it, bookmakers paying out on, on yeah. the wrong horse. And there, then...
0: There'll be some people who didn't even know, who will be waking up today, who didn't even know. I mean, you know, obviously, once the racing's switched off, they're not hanging around to listen mm. to Steve and I chatting. Um, so they would have switched off, and there'll be people waking up today not knowing. I know we live in the world of social media now. But there will be some people who will wake up today and they won't have known that that result was change loss. Mm.
2: I'd suggest that everyone hung around just to get one last look at Steve's shirt to be honest Rishi. It was um, majestic. It was, it was beautiful wasn't it? Um, right, Let's turn our attention to the Phillies Mile this Friday. Chris Richardson, the managing director of Cheveley Park Stud, joined me uh, late yesterday evening, actually, uh, when the the bulk of the sales had finished. They had a busy day there. But first of all, I asked him about Inspiral running this Friday in the Phillies Mile and initially whether they have a Guineas Philly in the making.
1: Oh, of course i mean we we um, you know the, the expectations are, are are always important in, in this game and um, uh, we 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 hope that um you know she will be able to uh step up here on friday and and um you know all being well with the winter over at back um we can uh, dream of of the guineas but there's a, an awful lot of um water to go under the bridge uh before that date but um she's done nothing wrong uh she's a lovely scopy, you know quality easy moving filly who has impressed john gosden Sadie gosden uh, in, in every piece of work that she's done, um, and um, you know things can happen and go wrong, but of course we we, we winter on, on 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 happy thoughts for, for next spring.
2: The three ones have come on good to firm so far. Is there anything telling you about about her pedigree, the way she moves, or, or anything that suggests to you that that soft ground would be a real concern, or, or is it just a case of of, of you'll, you'll find out if if that is what the ground turns up on Friday?
1: Yeah, I think all, all we can look at is is, is the month in you know her dam's um, performances which you know as I say there were you know on soft and good to soft uh, for most of her career so um, uh, that aspect we are aware of um, how she will actually handle it hmm. we are unaware of so hmm. uh, um, yeah that's the way we we will all learn something and, and um, we, we, all we can do is you know act on the, the conditions and the ground that uh, we we're presented with and uh, it's, it's the one race f- we'll finish up her season this year and, and uh, hopefully you know you know she she will benefit from that and has benefited from her previous runs and, and grown up mentally and, and um we'll, we'll um you know do her very best
2: now we're we're, we're chatting actually on the, the evening of another busy day at the sales And, um, and, and you and well, Mrs. Thompson in particular was busy today and and there was a, a notable purchase. So tell us a bit about that, Chris.
1: Yes, uh, it, it was it was lovely. Mrs. Uh, Mrs. T came up yesterday and um, we had uh, shortlisted uh, a number of fillies that liked throughout the week that we'd selected over the weekend. Uh, we shortlisted that uh, further down and um, she very much enjoyed wandering around the sale paddocks um, today looking at a selection of the fillies that uh, that we had on the list and um, she fell in love with a, a nice filly by No, name no, Never, um who is a, uh, a full sister to Arizona and Nay lady nay uh, who are both stakes winners Arizona uh, was uh, actually won the Coventry um, and uh, was was second in the in the um, in the in the Dewhurst so um, uh, a lovely Philly. You know, a total outcross for the future, which is important in this day and age with so much Northern Dancer blood around. Um, uh, it was a, a, a challenging uh, purchase. We paid uh, uh, 825,000 guineas for her, which was obviously more than we had hoped to spend. Um, <laughs> but Juddmont Farms were a very competitive underbidder. Um, and, uh, but you know, Mrs. T was uh, determined that she, she, she fall in love with the filly when she saw her and um, was keen to make such an addition for the, for hopefully racing. Um, and, um, you know, the broodmare band for the future. I mean, she loves quality. She's, um, you know, she loves art and she looks at her horses um, as pictures and paintings and, and loves to see them move. And, and um, you know, but really has a, has a wonderful eye. She always has, you know, we, we, we have to continue to develop families and, and um, improve the, the, the you know, her bloodstock interests for the future and the family's future so uh, uh, it was probably more than she was uh, hoping to spend my valuation was um, was a little over f- five hundred and fifty thousand so I was way out and um, but she you know she was there she was enjoying the moment and um, you know, I think um, felt that uh, uh, this was this was uh, an investment for the
2: future. Uh, Chris, just finally, how much sort of book balancing, if you like, will you have to do at a sale like this? You you know, you've outlaid a huge chunk today. Um, you, you'll have made some sales already, and, and I think there's hope for more tomorrow. Is it a case of you know you come in thinking of a of a of a almost a net spend for a sales like this, or or is it not as simple as that?
1: Um, I think from a from a budgeting point of view, um I, I have a figure that that I present to uh to Mrs. T and say, Look, this is what I hope the yearlings will will bring. Um, nine times out of ten I do get to that figure, but not in the way that I intended, and the yearlings sometimes will sell for more and some will sell for less and I probably got the figure slightly wrong. But we normally get to the budgeted figure. But no, I think um you know when when uh, mrs t comes to sale, she you know she this is gives her you know a huge amount of enjoyment and pleasure mm-hmm. and it's it's um it, it, it you know she's very very conscious of of the business side of the, of the whole stud and the operation but um it, it's uh, her her moment to decide what uh, what what investment she wants to put in and, and and not necessarily rely on on us having to source that from the income that we bring from the sale of cults and we've got some lovely cults um, selling this week we have nine altogether. um we sold a, a full brother to advertise who was a triple group one winner by showcasing out of a pivotal mayor furbelow and uh, for four hundred and fifty thousand guineas so that goes obviously some way towards um the, the budget and then um We've got an exciting cult by Frankel out of the Queen Elizabeth II winner, Persuasive, um, being offered tomorrow, um, along with a Ulysses cult uh, out of a man called Sacri Caroline, who's the dam of Sacred, um, mm. who was very competitive last year and won the Hungerford Stakes Group 2. And we've been hoping for a bit of faster ground for her for one more run this year, but it doesn't seem to have happened this this part of the world. But uh, consideration is being given to to the to the Breeders' Cup. But um, and then we've got on Thursday a nice Kodiak colt who I think will sell very well. He appears to be very popular. It's a half brother to Spangled, who um, is a won the uh, Sceptre Stakes um, and is a. Out of a granddaughter, um, sorry, out of a daughter of uh, Russian Rhythm, who was a wonderful uh, filly, won the Guineas and uh, was won four Group Ones. So uh, um, there's lots of blue blood to be offered, and, and hopefully, um, some of some of the buyers will, um, you know, will latch onto those and and, and they'll catch, catch their they'll catch their imagination.
2: I'm sure they will. Very best of luck with all of those, Chris. You mentioned Sacred. I was going to let you go, but I just want to... So Breeders' Cup Mile is on the agenda, I take it off the back of that stunning Newbury performance.
1: Yes, I think, well, um, it, it, it's certainly something that's not been discounted, but that way. Sure. William Haggis has, has suggested, um, you know, and, and Mrs Thompson was very instrumental in the decision to send Queen's Trust to the Breeders' Cup, um, sorry, it was four years ago, um, where she won um, the, the Philly and Mare Turf. Uh, and it, it, it was one of those situations which, rather amusingly, um, when they were watching the race at home when we were sunning ourselves in santa Anita, um we saw Queen's Trust leave the gates and be sitting last and, and um, I think the family sort of had a sort of horror look on their face as uh, she sat last throughout the, the, the early part of the race and then of course uh, came round the bend and uh, got up by a nose to beat a very very good multiple group one winner Lady Eli so it uh, it was uh, her decision and she was truly vindicated and, and if she makes the same decision was sacred. Um, I think it'll be very exciting. So it just goes to show that you know, uh, you know, Chibi Park is a is a truly international operation, and um, you know, very very excited to be to be part of it and, and its continuation.
2: Richie, I thought just to to end on, or us to start with the the point that he ended on, on on sacred, I wasn't necessarily um, expecting that to to come out. But I I do think it's very interesting that given she hasn't had her ground in the last month or so here, that she may, she may head to the uh, Breeders' Cup and and him suggesting that it's very much a Mrs. Thompson-led decision as it was with uh, Queen's Trust a few years ago. Do you think it'll suit her? I
0: think it will. I think the ground, <clears throat> the type of race that it is, and obviously there's, the, there's a question mark about the mile trip, but William Haggis has taken a horse, obviously Sacred had been targeted at the foray uh, on Arc Weekend, with the proviso that the ground was always going to be an issue, um, and obviously William Haggis had won the foray previously a few times with one master, who was, uh, I think it was William Haggis's first runner, ever run at the Breeders' Cup, a seven furlong horse, six and a half, seven furlong horse that he tried to stretch out in the, in the Breeders' Cup mile. And she ran with Greta, I think she finished fifth behind Expert Eye a few years ago. And I think Sacred has perhaps a little bit more, uh, potential to see out the mile trip. Uh, And the ground is a big factor for her. And I think if she can have a ground saving trip, obviously the draw will be a a key factor in it. But if she can have a ground saving trip, I could see her uh, running a really, really big race. You know, the fact that you're likely to get decent ground out there is a huge positive for her. And, uh, uh, you know, I thought she's been really progressive and impressive in the last couple of runs.
2: And your thoughts on Inspiral with regard to the, the Phillies mile potentially tackling soft ground for the first time and also with regard to, to her being a Guineas filly next year?
0: I remember watching her at Doncaster on the third of her wins this season and I was slightly underwhelmed slightly at a brief moment in the race where she came off the bridle and she took a few strides to get past. Her rivals, her But then at the end of the race, I remember thinking, yeah, that was impressive in the end. Um, so I think it's a, it's a bona fide question you're asking, uh, or you ask Chris Richardson about whether or not she's a Guineas filly or potentially stay a bit further. Um, I think she'll probably win the filly's mile, but I do like Meissen and Seen, who, like in Spiral, has beaten Prosperous Voyage before. And I thought the win last time out, she obviously bolted up first time. I thought her win uh, at Goodwood where everything went right for the runner-up uh, and it looked as if the runner-up had got the race won, I thought my Cien knuckled down really well and showed a bit of progression and almost as if she learned a little bit in the race. So I think the likelihood is that we're going to see a very good race and those two, I think, are high class. Um, and I think Inspiral just shown a little bit more at the moment, but I do think that um my is going to be a significantly stronger challenger than anything Inspiral has faced yet.
2: And a filly that, in spiral, will be taking on is Jessica Harrington's Magical Lagoon, who makes the trip over this Friday. I spoke to her trainer a little bit earlier on. We're all set for the filly's mile. Um, Today's Wednesday. She comes over this
3: evening. Um, and we're very, I'm very excited about running. <laughs> She's a lovely
2: filly. What would be your or concerns or hopes for the ground, Jessica? Uh, I think she'll go...
3: I probably would have been more worried if the ground had been good to farm.
2: Mm.
3: I think she'll go on on the ground. I think she she seemed to have done. She won the colour of the ground. I think that day was evening. And I think that suited her better than when she ran in When in I think it was a bit tighter that day. Um, and she did go. She won a barrier trial on the all-weather. So, you know, I think, I think as long as it wasn't heavy, I think she'll be
2: fine. And I mean, she's only been been on the go um, barrier trial aside for for a couple of months now. Is there a, any specific reason we just saw her later in the year, or she just took a, took a while? Did she?
3: She just took a bit of a while. you know. She's a big filly, and um, she was actually she's a filly that does herself very well, and it took me quite a long time to get her you know into shape, into you know her fitness up to the right level.
2: Mm. What do you just going forward, irrespective of what actually happens on on Friday? She's um, she's obviously a daughter of Galileo. Lots of stamina in there. What what do you see her developing into if we if we allow ourselves to look ahead to her three year old campaign? Um, I suppose she's you
3: know we we might start off in the guineas, but I think ultimately I think she probably will end up being a man and a half. For
2: And track-wise at at Newmarket, I mean, I I suppose you don't know. She's not been there, but um, what do you think the Rally Mile will hold for her? Oh, well,
3: look, they've all got to run down that hill and and keep themselves balanced. But she's a a very well-balanced filly. She did run in Nace, um, which is a little bit of a ridgy,
2: has a fair few ridges
3: down the back, and she seemed
2: to cope with those very well. Mm. Um, Listen, thanks for your time. Wish you all the best this Friday. Thanks very much. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Tom. Now, uh, news breaking on the Racing Post yesterday, Rish, that ARC could move the meeting, or France Gallo are entertaining the idea of moving the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe forward a week, bringing it closer to Irish Champions Weekend, moving it further from um, Kipco British Champions Day. Do you think, A, it's likely, and B, them entertaining the idea is, uh, well, I think for some it's going to be a shame, given the, the history of the race. Well, where do you stand on it? Uh, it's an awkward one.
0: I, do you remember, Tom, when we used to play cricket when we were younger, and a bowler would come in and the field would be set, and then the batsman would start smashing the bad balls around, and then you'd move the field according to where the, ball just be, the bad ball had just been smashed.
2: Yeah, the, oh, feels, the only thing—the only thing with me was that they'd always all the fielders would always be on the boundary immediately when I came out to bat. Just the fear, <laughs> the fear was—it was, was palpable.
0: Yeah, Tom Richard Stanley, uh, <laughs> chewing gum coming to the creek. It, it feels a little bit like with the weather, we are moving the field after the event. You know, after the bad ball's been bowled, you're going to move the field. I don't. I I personally don't see the the need for moving it just because of this renewal. I know they've been. You know, last year's was also heavy ground. But if you look back over the last 10 years, there are also decent, a lot of uh, uh, renewals where it's been decent ground. Um, moving it back a week, will put it to two weeks before, sorry, uh, after the Irish champions weekend. Um, would would Derma Wells have run Tanawa two weeks before the arc? Would Found mm. have run two weeks before the arc in the Irish champion? Would Golden Horn have done it? Would Sotsas have run last year in the Irish champion before running in the the I don't know I mean maybe they would have done but it adds a bit of uncertainty to move it two weeks uh before the you know obviously it it would have affected the ledger as well would Hurricane Lane have run two weeks after the St. Ledger over a mile six and change and then go for the I I don't think that's such a great idea um I think there's enough opposition from people who have won the race in the past you know the likes of Cricket Head who know what it takes to to win the race to say it's not it's not the most I, I don't think it's 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 the idea that we've been crying out for that we need to move the arc I, I, I don't I, I personally don't see the need to move it and I don't see the you know if you look back at the history of the race as a whole I, and I don't know why people are so upset about this year's result. The winner was really smart, and um, he, he won well in the conditions.
2: It's only the fact that we had an eighty-to-one winner this year, as to uh, you exactly. know what, what was what was billed as the best arc in decades. If Hurricane Lane wins the arc, there's no talk of moving it. If Adyar wins <laughs> the arc, there's no talk of moving it. Tanawa, no talk of moving it. It's because the eighty-to-one unfancy Tutukatato won it that there is yeah. this consideration. I'm surprised it's gone so high up in, in France Gallo with the quotes over it. I,
0: I'm, I am surprised because, as you rightly say, um, with Tanawa, Hurricane Lane and Adear finishing second, third and fourth, had Tokwoto Tasso not won, we would have been saying great renewal, the best horses came to the fore. But the, it was a great renewal and the best horses did come to the fore. There was just one better, admittedly, in the conditions. That's the way it goes. What happens if you move it back a week and it rains and we have heavy ground? You know? it, that's the problem about moving the field when a bad ball is bowled. You just have to bowl the ball better.
2: Right, talking of the arc, Pat Edry won the race four times between 1980 and 87, including, of course, with Dancing Brave, has been inducted into the Hall of Fame. And a little bit earlier on, I spoke to his uh, weighing room friend, Kevin Darley, and I asked him just what it was that made Pat so special.
4: Pat was just, he was a natural horseman, really. Um, he always looked sort of neat and tidy on a horse, with a great pair of hands, and... Just in a race, you know, he was always in the right place, right time. And as a young sort of jockey, I was sort of the new kid on the block, if you like, um, during Pat's sort of peak period. He was the jockey I always aspired to be. And, you know, he was he was a legend.
2: Was it, um, you know, were you, were you ever in awe of him, if you like, when you are starting off? You know, you're going out riding against Pat Edry. And, and in any way, did that ever sort of get to you in the early days of your career?
4: Well, you you always look at sort of people, you know, you're always told about role models and, and Pat had that, that sort of aura about, he had a bit of clash, you know, he'd, he'd always turn up at the races with a, a smart suit, Hermes tie, Gucci shoes. He was just that person you looked at and thought, wow, I want to be like that, you know. And in a race, it didn't matter whether it was a group one or a seller, his, his worth ethic was that, Wherever he was, whatever the race, he just wanted to win it,
2: hmm.
4: and and I think that was the driving force behind him, really.
2: So a highly competitive individual, but I mean, did that ever come across out of the out, out of the saddle, or was he, you know, sort of you know friendly out of the saddle, and then a foe went in it?
4: No, he was he was an absolute gent through and through. Um, he was a man of few words, um, but he'd be the first person to come up to you. In the weighing room, if he'd ridden a horse the time before, he'd come up to you and say, and it didn't matter who you were. Um, I rode that last time. You know, does this? Does that? Does the other? And he was, he was, you know, just so approachable. He was just a genuine guy.
2: When people talk about Pat, I've read loads of quotes about he. You know, he was he was such an incredible horseman. What does that phrase mean to you in, in specific regards to Pat? What was it that made him that?
4: I confidence. I've um, said that, you know, he looked natural on a horse, but he was one of those that had the confidence that if a horse wasn't going, he'd give it time, he could drop one in, he could make the run in. It was just that, you know, natural ability that he picked up a sixth sense with a horse, I suppose. And, and like I say, he, he, he did whatever he thought was right at the time, and nine times out of ten, it, it was the right thing.
2: If we're thinking about um, horse racing's Hall of Fame, I suppose there aren't many jockeys, if any, that you'd put in there ahead of Pat Edry, are there?
4: Not really, no. no. Like I say, he was, he, he was the jockey I aspired to be like from a very a very early age. And, um, you know, he very, very rarely let people down. And, you know, it's at the end of the day, OK, it's a horse race, things can go wrong. But ultimately, you know, the... The jockey's at the end of the line. Um, If he gets it wrong, then, you know, you get the finger pointed. But he didn't get the finger pointed at him very often because he didn't get it wrong very
2: often. Take me down memory lane, Rishi. uh, Where does your appreciation with Pat Eddary start?
0: Well, as as you know, Tom, I'm a child of the 80s and the top-class riders, uh, trainers that we had during that period, just absolutely... (laughs) Uh, furnished my love for horse racing more than ever. I mean, those, you know, Pat Henry, Steve Cawthon, Walter Swinburne, you know, they were they were boyhood heroes to me growing up. And There is no doubt that Pat Henry deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame. One of the all-time greats, 11 times, champion, you know, well, we could reel off the stats, Tom. We could reel off and say 11 times champion jockey, you know, he, he won the Derby, he won the Arc, he won all the classics, he won big races around the world. He gave Pebbles the most amazing ride in the Breeders' Cup. But it's, it's more than that. It's, it's the fact that when you grow up and you, you fall in love with horse racing and you fall in love with the horses, you also fall in love with the people that are associated with them. And Pat Eddery was associated with so many great horses. You go back to Grundy in 1975 uh, through to Dancing Brave in 86 and then the likes of Zaphonic, you know, the, 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 the guineas went, was just majestic. Um, so it's that association with those amazing horses that Pat Eddery, you know, it's not just, it's not just the horse, it's the horse and the rider. And it's not just the rider, it's the horse. And Pat Hedder is associated with so many greats and you know, anyone who remembers the 86 arc and Pat and Dancing Brave, one of the mo- most iconic images in the history of horse racing, certainly in the last 50 years for me, you know, thundering down the straight and long shark, coming into shot, going past Bering and Sharistani and Triptika, etc. Or, or Pat Cruiser, even Pat Cruising on El Gran Senor and Secreto running out of the derby. Things like that. You know, they, they, they have characterised the memories of, of racing through my life. And Pat Eddery you know, was associated with more than most. And um, he deserves his, his spot in the Hall of Fame because he made racing better.
2: The 1986 arc, Rishi, won in record time on, on firm ground. Well, there you go. There
0: you go. They didn't think about moving it a week later then, did they?
2: Uh, Indeed. Um, Right. It is Wednesday. Yes, definitely Wednesday. So we can hear from uh, Jim McGrath, the croc, about Hong Kong. Here he is.
5: Hi, Nick. Punters in Europe weren't the only ones left reeling at the 80 to 1 win of Torquator Tasso in Sunday's to Triomphe at Longchamp. The shockwaves were also crashing long into the night in Hong Kong as the loyal legions who welcomed their regular diet of international fixtures were trying to get their heads around the result. But from my experience, the Hong Kong punter loves to see a winner at an astronomical price every so often. Not all the time. It maintains their faith that the racing game can reap huge rewards for those who constantly look for value. Better to live in hope. Torkator Tasso paid around 71 to 1 in Hong Kong, but local punters are partial to a multiple, as you know. And it's interesting, the forecast with Tanawa paid 545 to 1, while the Cortez, the first four in order, paid around 10,000 to 1. Since Sunday, much has been written and said about German racing and breeding punching above its weight. And let's not forget that Hong Kong racing is led on a daily basis by the world's highest-profile German racing official in Engelbrecht Bresgez. Surely Winfred was entitled to feel a little patriotic when watching Sunday's ARC winner. Longshot was something of diversion for Hong Kong punters, who could also uh, bet on seven races at Nakayama on Sunday. Happy Valley is going to feel like a homecoming this Wednesday. For me, one of the features of the nine race card at the valley comes in the finale when the Richard Gibson trained Rattan, now an eight-year-old, makes his Happy Valley debut in a class two race over the extended one mile. Rattan is seven from 39 and has raced exclusively at Tin until now. Back in the day, the son of New Zealand's sire Savabeel was a very smart horse, rising 71 points in the ratings, or four classes, from his debut run to his pinnacle performance in a stellar career. He hasn't won for two and a half years, I know, but he has dropped in grade. It's a very welcome drop too, and I think that with the likelihood of a decent pace, he can run home over the top of them. So it's race nine, number three, Rattan, to win. Take him in a tote swinger with number two, not usual talent. Richard Gibson, who welcomes this opportunity with his stable stalwart, sent his top sprinter, uh, Wellington, for a barrier trial this week. And he was pleased with what the gelding achieved in a dress rehearsal for his reappearance. One other to mention from a punting angle this Wednesday is Last Start winner Turin Red Star, with Harry Bentley retaining the ride in race four, a class three event over nine furlongs. The step up in trip is not going to worry him. That's race four, number four, Turin Red Star. Take him in multiples with number three, Super Bella. That's all for this week on the Hong Kong Beat. See you next time. Rishi, send us away with a tip if you don't mind.
0: Well, I'll send you away with a tip and I'm hoping that Rogue Bear wins the 340 at Nottingham. Very lightly raced, Definitely a horse open to progression in a race full of exposed types. He only had three runs. Uh, I've got to confess, there's a tiny little share uh, that I own in him. Um, he would have needed his comeback run. So hopefully he'll step forward for that um, at Asker. And it was actually a good race. The winner, Dark Shift, came out and won again. So hopefully a bit of progression from that. A marker 79, he'll have a
2: shot. I feel like we need one of those um, really fast talking bits at the end of a radio advert. We say, Rishi has a financial share in the horse. <laughs> uh, yeah. okay, that came yeah. out all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Um, Rishi, thank you very much indeed. Uh, enjoy sure, the rest top. of your day. Thanks to everyone at home for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day, everyone out there. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Nick will be back tomorrow. Bye bye.